This is the first Sunday of Lent. I can't believe it, actually. It feels like Advent just ended, didn't it? <laughs> doesn't it? At least it feels that way to me. Um, so here we are. We begin Lent, which are the 40 days uh, leading up, up to Easter, uh, leaving out the Sundays. So 40 days between now and Easter Sunday. This is, of course, a very special season of the Christian calendar. It's a special time to reflect, to be still, to listen to God's voice, um, and to renew our commitment in our faith and our relationship with God. It's really time to allow God's uh, searching light to shine into our hearts and to see to take a look at those maybe scary areas of our life that God wants to heal and restore and make whole, um, wants to heal with his forgiving and healing love. Lent is really about being home with God, making our home in God. So it's appropriate that we look at this great parable about coming home, the parable of uh, what we know as the parable of the prodigal son, but as we go through these five weeks, uh, we may come up with a different title. Um, I think it's the greatest parable Jesus taught out of all 38 or so of his parables. Actually, one of the greatest short stories in all of literature, uh, in my mind, uh, when you, especially when you think of all the music that has been inspired by this parable, all the beautiful paintings, one of which we will see today. Um, and just how many times it's in literature, either um, explicitly or implicitly. So amazing story. Um, so why take five weeks? Some of you may say, I already know this parable, Steve. We don't need to spend five weeks on it. But let me tell you, we could take longer. It is so, uh, so rich and so multi-layered and has so many things going on uh, that it, five weeks almost is short. So why is it so great? Well, I think as in all the parables of Jesus, beautiful thing, one of the beautiful things about his parables is we always find ourselves in the parable. Uh, and this is what's so powerful about him. You know, we'll be listening to him. We'll hear, oh, yeah, Jesus, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's me. Right? And he just hits us hard. And uh, this one especially. You know, I think we can relate to all the different char primary characters in this parable as we read it. Uh, and we will take a look at all the primary uh, characters. I think it's also great because it touches on such deep themes about what it means to be human. You know, themes like forgiveness, bad choices, <laughs> mistakes, uh, being lost, forgiveness, salvation, reconciliation, sin. Wow, really important topics and also can be topics that are very emotional for us. So if you start crying in one of the services, that's okay. Uh, just raise your hand and let me know you're crying. When you <laughs> They're deep, deep. Uh, some of these things are really deep things in our hearts. 
Now, it's also great because it get, and this is what I love about it, it gets to the essentials of the Christian faith. Maybe more than, and I'm going to read the entire chapter today, Luke 15. I think this chapter gets more to the heart of what it really means to live the Christian faith than, than any other chapter in, in the Bible. It um, really gets to the pure message of the gospel, this good news that we have. Uh, you know, I, was re- I read an uh, article in The Atlantic, I think, last week. Some of you may have seen it, written by Timothy Keller, who uh, was a pastor in New York for many years, started this church reaching out to young adults, and um, grew like crazy. He's a church planner, great author, uh, now retired, he's actually struggling with um, cancer, but wrote a great article on, uh, on his hope. You know, we've talked a lot about the decline of the church. His hope is that we are right on the precipice of a new, a new time when people really respond to the message of Christ and this good news. But see, here's what's so hard about this good news is we don't hear it very often, honestly. And many people will think, Steve, why are you going over this parable? I know this. I know the basics of Christianity. And I will say, "Ah, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure you do. Because as I've pastored now for almost 40 years, I have met many people who have been in church their whole lives, you know, sitting in pews, from birth to, you know, very old, like, you know, 60. (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) Uh, Who, you know, when I really talk to them, they don't really get it. And they've lived their whole life, um, Christian life, I think, missing out on what God has for us. Um, So Keller says he's encouraged because he thinks this message, this it is the message of the gospel, the good news that has has caused the church to grow throughout history. It's this message and God's spirit. And yet that message often gets lost. You know, I I love what um, one of my professors in seminary, um, I can't remember his name now. Anyway, here's the quote. Most of the theology we hear in churches today is about sin management. That's not the gospel. And we'll take a look at that today and for the next four weeks. So if you think you have it all figured out, come with an open mind. And if you're a seeker trying to figure out what Christianity really is, don't listen to the media. And I like the media. My sister's a journalist, so and my brother-in-law. I'm all for it. They do a great work. But the picture they've painted of Christianity is not Christianity. It's not the message of this parable. 
and it's not the message of Christ, and we'll touch on, on that too. So if you're a seeker, be open. Maybe Jesus will surprise you over these next five weeks. I hope he does, because I find this message of the gospel uh, very, very compelling. Personally, I have to say that this chapter changed my life, this Luke 15, and has been more influential in my Christian life and my ministry than any other chapter in the Bible. And I'll get more into that later. Change my life, it could change yours too. So I want to again invite you to explore it deeper on Thursday nights. Details are in the bulletin and buy Nowen's book and make it a, a spiritual discipline over Lent to read that book. Can I encourage you with one more thing? Please come to all five worship services in person. Even if it's raining. Even if it's snowing. Come. Something about being together as uh, the body of Christ. So, let me read this chapter to you. Um, the whole chapter isn't in the bulletin, so maybe just sit back and let me read it to you. It's going to take a while, so, so pay attention. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Love that word, one of my favorite words in the Bible. They muttered, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Well, no, not really. That's not good shepherding. But here's the parable. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Then another parable. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And now we come to our parable. Actually, I would say this is two parables. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his feed fields to feed pigs, which is not a good thing for a Jewish boy, right? The bottom of the barrel. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way out, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered to his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, I love this, not when my brother, but this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. God, we pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts and our minds today that uh, as only you can do, you would speak a very clear word to us. Maybe change some things that we've seen in the past. Maybe teach us some new things. Most of all, we just pray that we would see your great love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, it's very easy to kind of gloss over the first two verses of this chapter. But I got to tell you, they're key because in those two first two verses, this whole parable, this whole chapter is framed. Remember, the first two verses, they talk about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttering, muttering. That's when you talk just loud enough 
that the person can hear you, but you're really not talking to them. Muttering about Jesus eating with sinners and enjoying it. <laughs> so Jesus tells these three parables in response to this muttering. Now, really important to know that these two groups of people are really different. First of all, there's the tax, tax collectors and the sinners. Now, these are people who have left the traditional morality of their families and society and have just gone against all the rules. They've just thrown it all out the window. They're outcasts in this society. They're unclean ceremonially. ceremonially. Uh, they're irreligious. They're moral failures. They're prostitutes and tax collectors and all kind of the riffraff of society. They're outsiders. These two groups are very much outsiders and insiders. And this group, they're the outsiders. They're the riffraff. And there are very high walls between these two groups, primarily put up by the insiders, which is the second group. And they are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Religious insiders, as much as you could possibly be. So if the first group broke the laws, the biblical laws, then this group devoted their whole lives to keeping the laws because this is what they believe makes them right with God. They really have devoted their whole lives to it. They worship faithfully. Remember when we talked about tithing? They tithe. 10%. And give even beyond that. Man, I would love a church full of these people. Actually, I wouldn't want these people in my church. They walked the straight and narrow. They prayed. In fact, they prayed where everybody could see them. Good citizens, pillars of the community. If the first group represents the younger brother, the second group represents the older brother. And they, you know what's interesting about this? Who was attracted to Jesus of these two groups? The bad ones. The immoral people, the lost people, we see them over and over and over again in the Gospels gathering around Jesus to hear his message, to hear what he had to say. Um, they listened intently to the message of Christ. And here's what's interesting. Jesus loved them. This religious person loved these, the riffraff. And he hung out with them, which was against the law. Because if you hung out with unclean people, you could become unclean. 
This is one of the reasons why there were walls between, Jesus, or between the religious and the non-religious. He was reaching out to them with love. He had meals with them. Which, in the Middle East, even today, when you have a meal with someone, you're saying, I accept you. In fact, I think you're important. I value our relationship. So Jesus eats meals with these people. You know, Jesus once said, I desire mercy, not religious activity, for I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus wanted to reach out to these people, and the religious people couldn't figure him out. Couldn't figure him out. Here was this great teacher who spoke words that they'd never heard before with such authority that no other teacher had, and yet he's hanging out with these people? Give me a break, Jesus. What are you doing? They'd have nothing to do with them, and yet Jesus has meals with them. So Jesus hears their muttering, and this whole chapter is a response. It's his reply to their muttering. And it's a powerful chapter. Now, who are these parables directed to? The insiders. He's just hammering it. <laughs> Home. This is what you guys need to hear. And in the process... Jesus upends just what everybody had thought about God and salvation and sin and who's in and who's out. He just throws it all upside down. That's what he did. You know, that's why he was killed. These are the same people that killed him. Just turns everything upside down about who were the insiders and who were the outsiders about so many important things, how you get right with God. So Jesus is trying to straighten them out. And mostly what he's trying to do in these, with these parables is tell them, this is, you guys don't know what God is like. I'm going to give you three parables to tell you what God is really like because you know what? You don't get it. You've been sitting in the temple all these years, but you really don't know what God is about. And you really don't know how you get right with God, and what pleases God. And so he directs these parables to the second group of people. And by doing so, he infuriates them. Offends them. Frustrates them. You know what's interesting about the parable of the prodigal son? We almost always focus on the younger son. In fact, I've had many conversations with people where we've talked about this parable, and he said, so what do you think of the older son? Who's the older son? I don't know anything about the older son. Maybe we forget that on purpose. <laughs> they think of, oh, the beautiful picture of this younger son coming home and kneeling and uh, the father embracing him, this reconciling, forgiving, unbelievable display of love. 
Wow, we, we remember that. And most of us would remember that, right? But really, Jesus, the important part of this parable for him right now is the second part with the elder son and directing it to the religious leaders. So, very important part of the story. When the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious insiders, heard about the elder brother, they knew exactly what Jesus was doing because what he was doing, he was holding up a mirror to them and saying, this is who you are. You're lost too. Just like the sheep, the coin, the younger brother, you're lost. You're lost in your rule keeping, your pride, your self-righteousness, your blindness. You're doing all the right things. You're doing all the right things. But you're missing the whole point. <laughs> and see, this is what happens so often. You don't know who God is. So I'm going to tell you. He tells him three parables. I'm going to go over it quickly. Lost sheep. Basically, 100 sheep, right? One wanders off. Gets hopelessly lost. Surprisingly, the shepherd leaves 99, which isn't really great shepherding, right? Because <laughs> there's bears and wolves and all thieves and all kinds of dangers to the 99 he leaves. But this is what he does. Jesus, the storyteller, is trying to make a point here about how valuable even one sheep is to the shepherd, who, of course, is God. So the shepherd searches, even at risk to his own life, finds the sheep and brings it home, throws it around his shoulders and brings it home. Now, you know, all three of these are about being lost and being found in parties, right? Lost, found, parties. The lostness of the sheep, each of the lostnesses, is that a word? I don't know. In these parables are different. For the sheep, this, it may not even be intentional that he's lost. You know, sheep are just dumb. So they wander off. And they're very food motivated, like my golden retriever. So what do they do? They eat. They, they eat one patch. They see another patch. They go over there. They see another patch. They go, and pretty soon, they're gone. They're lost, far away, one clump of grass at a time. And chances are, the sheep doesn't even know he's lost. You know. When I first got here, I preached on this passage. It's one of my favorite. And I told you about my friend who's a shepherd in Scotland and, and actually was in the highlands of Scotland. And, and they would go look for these sheep and they'd find them. And they'd be eating away and look up and they'd get this sheepish look on their face. <laughs> Couldn't resist that. Yeah, they don't even know they're lost. And yet the shepherd goes after him and finds him. I think what this says is God is like the shepherd. He loves the individual sheep. He knows his sheep and he searches and searches 
and searches and searches and searches until he finds his lost sheep. Second one is the lost coin. This is interesting. And I've, I honestly don't know if I have this fully figured out. <laughs> this is an inanimate object. Didn't make any decisions. Not making choices. Not making bad choices. It's just lost. And there's a woman who values this coin and is desperate to find it, so she turns her house upside down. Remember, there were probably straw floors in these houses. She's looking everywhere for this. She's desperate. She's persistent. She searches and searches and searches and finds this last coin, lost coin. And what does she do? Just like with the shepherd and the lost sheep, calls up her friends, hey, let's party. I found my coin. Have you ever invited friends to your party because you found a lost coin? <laughs> you know what I think about this? I, I think the lostness here is, it, it's a lostness. Absolutely, the coin doesn't know it's lost. This could be lostness from not our decisions, but just circumstances in our lives. We're lost. Others may not see the value of the coin. Actually, it's not a very valuable coin, not a very large coin, but she does. Very valuable. So she's very persistent. Then we come to our parables. The lost son. First one, younger son, give me my share. I don't want, I can't wait for you to die, so just give it to me now. We'll get into this later. Very insulting. Goes off to the far country where... He wastes all this money on wild living. This is lostness that is very intentional. Bad choices. Rebellion. Wants independence. Buys into the myth of the greener grass. Realizes his mistake. Goes home and there his father is waiting. Now this is kind of different. Not this searching like the shepherd and the lost coin, the woman, but is waiting, scouring the horizon, waiting for his lost son to come home and then runs out to greet him. And we'll look at this more carefully later. Ecstatic! My son was dead. He's alive! He was lost! He's found. He's home! Man, get the fattened calf, light the tiki torches, we're going to party! Right? Then, well, so what does this say? Oh, I think accepting love. Not a word of, I told you so, I knew you'd be back. Doesn't want to hear, he doesn't even want to hear his speech. Let's party, man. My, my son is home. I am overjoyed. And there's rejoicing in heaven. And a huge party. And then we come to the second part, or another parable, really, the elder son. He's lost. We often don't see it, but he's lost. It's different. He's still home, geographically, physically, close, but nowhere near the father's heart. He's lost. So lost. 
if the younger son was lost from being bad, the elder son is lost from being good. We never think of lostness that way. But he's lost in his goodness. Confused about God's love. Lost in his anger and his self-righteousness and his pride. Now this parable is a little different because we don't know how it ends. Jesus, the storyteller, leaves it open. You know, the father goes out, entreats his son to come into the party, and yet he refuses. I'm not going to go party. I'm not going to share in joy. And that's how we leave it. So, what is Jesus teaching the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and us about the nature of God? Well, God is love. And God's love finds us. God is a seeking God. We don't find God. God finds us. And see, this is the radical gospel. And this is how the message of Christ is so different from other religions. Because as far as I know, and if someone knows differently, come and talk to me. Most religions, most philosophies, the way to find life is you have to do certain things. You have to climb a spiritual ladder. You have to do certain spiritual practices. You have to do good works is probably the most common one. And that's how you earn God's love. This turns it all upside down and it says, no, God's love is there for you regardless of what you do. You are accepted and loved before and then you obey, whereas the Pharisees and the teachers of the law thought, you know what? We have to obey and be good people and then we'll be loved. That is huge. Big difference. And this is where I would challenge you to look at your own faith. Which way do you live? Do you know you're loved? Just for who you are? And you can't do anything to make God love you more, and you can't do anything to make God love you less? That's the gospel. Woo! Jesus is blowing doors with this message. God is a seeking God. We don't find God. God finds us in his grace, in his mercy, in his love. So radical. All the religions of the time all the religions of our days, different story. Be good, climb the ladder, do good works. That's the life-changing gospel. No matter how lost we are, God can find us in his love. It's the first thing. You know what, too? I'll say this. For the Greeks of the first century, for the Romans, the non-Jews, this was so radical. They couldn't believe, in fact, the stumbling block for the Jews, or for the Greeks, in, in terms of believing the gospel of Christ, was why would a God love us so much? I remember reading one Roman philosopher that said it was of the early Christians. 
they have this crazy idea that God actually cares about them. All their gods, very religious time, all their gods, no. You had to sacrifice, make sacrifices. You had to appease the God somehow. And here's this God that just comes to us. Second thing, God's love is personal. He knows his sheep. He knows the coin. He knows the sons. Hard for us to believe. I've had conversations with people, and they'll tell me this. You know, I can believe in a loving God. I can believe in a, a force out there, some, some creator, what my preaching professor called the great gas in the sky. But I can't believe that God actually cares about me personally. That God cares about my concerns and my hurts and my relationships. Can't believe it. Well, Jesus is saying, oh, yeah. God cares about us personally, knows us better than we even know ourselves. Then the third thing I would say is he's saying God's love is unconditional. It's not based on our goodness or our badness. You know, what do we really know about all these characters? The coin, the sheep, the younger son, the lost son, the older son. The only thing we know is they're lost. That's the only thing we know. And yet God goes and finds them. So kind of funny God goes and finds them because of their lostness. <laughs> Not their goodness. So this is the message that he is sending to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law. Powerful, isn't it? If you think it's powerful, say amen. amen. <laughs> it is. This is the message. And we'll explore it even more in depth in the next weeks. But it changes lives. It turned the world upside down. I want to invite a friend of mine up here uh, for a few minutes. Susie Skugstad. Susie, come up. Susie painted. This is her painting. So I want to just... Uh, interview her for a few minutes. Um, we'll put this right here, Susie. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? You're so yeah. talented. <laughs> Thank you. Thank we you. have a lot of talented people in our church, as you know. But Susie, um, tell me just a little bit about yourself, how long you've been coming to the church, um, other oh. things. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, um, I'm a new member, but I've been involved with the Mexico trip for about nine years, so I feel like I knew um, a lot of you, but of course I'm learning more of you. And I just became a member some months ago um, after Steve so welcomed me, and before I was even a member, asked me to do this painting, which made me feel part of something. I, I will say it was your openness to me as a searching person that helped me come to this church. Great. Yep. So how did this come about, this uh, painting? 
Right. So, oh, I hear myself yeah. now. Um, so now um, it came about, um, you gave me the tip that this is a really great book, one of your favorite books. I read it not once or twice. I read it five times. And I um, still read it all the time or listen to it on audio because it was life changing for me. And I was really grateful that you gave me the tip. And um, the reason it was life changing is partly the process of doing this and becoming part and embracing this, this community. But part of it was the messaging in the book, really the love. What you're talking about is the nature of God's love. You described it really well in this sermon, which is the nature of God's love really is just so amazingly radical and unlike the kind of love we're, we're often experiencing here in our lives that we sometimes think that it's not for us. <laughs> we think we're not the beloved. We're not the one that gets to take that love in to receive that love. The arms open, like you see here, that love that didn't ask the son any questions, didn't say, you are such a bad boy. <laughs> you, you know, you hurt me deeply. Didn't even say that. It just said, let's party, you're back. I love you as you are. And I think this is why I keep rereading the book because Nowen is so good at helping us put ourselves in the characters of the book, like you said. So this isn't your first painting. <laughs> this isn't my first rodeo. No. Uh, but your first, how is this different painting this than the other paintings that you've So this, this experience of God's love really changed your life. It right? did, very yeah. recently. So maybe yeah. I'm, maybe it's extra exciting to me yeah. now, yes. So how, how, how did, how was this for you? This was, this was interesting. I wanted to do it and have it be pleasing to anyone who saw it, I, but I wanted it to somehow express this warmth in a um, mode that I am not used to painting in, which is people. I tend to do landscapes and things. And I knew I wouldn't be able to represent people. I, and I, instead of doing that, I wanted just to represent love. And the father's open arms. Because I often, when I'm praying, I'm often saying things like, wrap your loving arms around me, dear Lord. <laughs> because I, I feel wounded like the sun sometimes. You, I walk through this life or I feel I'm not going to be okay, but that, that feeling of God's loving arms around me, unconditional as I am, whether I'm feeling pain or resentment, like the older son, <laughs> or something that I don't feel right about, the, the loving arms around me just gives me such peace. And again, this is why the book meant a lot to me. Yeah. So uh, was this a kind of a spiritual, spiritual experience for you? As it you was, yeah. it was, it was a real journey. This was a real journey of doubt, I'd say, starting in with doubt and hesitation. And then once the Holy Spirit sort of took over, <laughs> I just painted like crazy for like two days and it was done. And I just, hours would go by where I had no thoughts, didn't think of any laundry or anything. I just, it was truly this wonderful experience. And I was on auto, pilot that's great yeah it was lovely well thank you for this thank such you such a gift for our church 
So I think we're gonna, you know, as we go through this parable, look up here, and you you took the one, the most dramatic part of the whole story. Right, right. right. And the part that spoke to you. Right, but don't forget, this is the elder son. He's, um, he's the, yeah, he's not having it, and he is, He's where I live a lot. You know, I've been, I've been this, but I've been, I've been in this one a been lot. Out with oh the, yeah. Out with the ox. Oh, I've been out with the ox, being <laughs> a little angry in the field and resent, resentful. All right. So. Well, thank you. Yeah. For doing this, and here's, here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I'm going to ask us to make a bigger piece, uh, a little bigger than what's in the messenger, so you can take this and meditate on this as you study this parable and uh, read this book. So thank you, Susie. We have, of course, so much to be grateful for. God has given us everything. So let's respond 